Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to season two of Get It Off Your Breasts, the podcast that digs deep into all those issues that really get under your skin. I'm Leanna Bird and myself and my co-host Emma Gannon are so excited to be back with you for season two and to be bringing with us a host of some of the most incredible guests over the next eight episodes with some bonus ones in there too. We've got activists, we've got actors, we've got MPs, we've got comedians, so much more to come. Today we are recording in the Houses of Parliament uh, and joined by someone pretty special. But before we begin, we wanted to tell you about something quite exciting that's happening this Thursday. We are so excited to be doing our first ever live show. It's going to be Get It Off Your Breasts on stage with two very exciting guests. It just so happens to be on March the 8th, which is International Women's Day. So if you want to come and watch a female-led roundtable discussion with a difference with unfiltered topics on stage, then please do come along. It will be hosted by myself and Liana, and our two very special guests that are joining us for this live show are trans awareness campaigner and journalist Paris Lease, who was recently profiled in Vogue as part of the new suffragettes and author and body positive activist Megan Jane Crabb aka Body Posse Panda so we're really excited about that please do come along get your tickets if you go on Eventbrite and just type in get it off your breasts it will come up and if you follow us on Twitter there are some links on there as well Absolutely delighted to be joined this episode by Stella Creasy, MP for Walthamstow, and also recently voted as one of the new suffragettes, which is quite nice too to see. Um, thank you so much for having us here um, in the Houses of Parliament, in fact, with a lovely Riverview. In your amazing um, office. Yeah. <laughs> um, we've been really wanting to speak to you, in fact, since we started this whole series. You were on our top hit, hit list. <laughs> Don't worry, we can change that. <laughs> um, but we're really excited to hear what you have mm. to get off your breasts. The thing that's sort of on my mind at the moment in the run-up to um, International Women's Day is that not only will we get the perennial calls about well, when's the men's day, but actually I think something really important about the concept of being an ally. And one of the things that I feel is missing right now from a lot of the debates around uh, gender equality and feminism is what role men can constructively play. There's certainly a lot of men involved, um, sometimes helpfully, sometimes not so much. But actually, I think one of the things that's missing is setting out what, if you are a man who thinks of themselves as a feminist, they can actually do to help advance equality. Mm. Because actually, equality is good for everyone, and therefore everybody has a responsibility to make it happen. Do you think that um, with men, it's a case of some of them, like you said, wanting to be involved, but almost having that kind of trepidation of not really knowing how or not really knowing where to overstep a line? Like, do you think in a way like we all together, men and women, need to almost not provide more guidelines, but almost be like, you know, this is how you can support more and be more involved? There's the kind of, so there's, there's the... The not all men stuff. It's like absolutely, ninety nine percent of the world are not Donald Trump. We know that. Thank right? God for that. That's, that's a given. <laughs> but then there's a whole kind of category of people who 
who may behave in ways that are actually deeply misogynistic because they're unconscious about doing it because mm. we're all products of our environment. So expectations about leadership, about intelligence, about what support you might need, about what equality means. I mean, it's pretty frustrating to me to find that two thirds of men in this country think that we have equality. And mm. you're like, hmm, <laughs> yeah. well, how do we explain to you that's not what we've got right now without people feeling defensive? Um, and then, of course, you get what I sort of call the slightly slug, smug brochurists who are like, yeah, no, I totally get your issues. No, I totally understand. No, I'm, I'm a feminist too. So I, I, you, I've got this. I've got equality for you. Mm. And you're like, well, you're not acting like it, mate. Mm. Um, you know, that's the group of men. Sometimes there's like, <laughs> it's, like, it's like men like Jay-Z. Jay-Z drives me crazy because he, um, he made this big thing about now he had a daughter he wouldn't use the term ho anymore and I was like you're, you're married to Beyonce have, have you seen mm. <laughs> like yeah. why is it about your daughter there, there was that whole thing wasn't there I was like as a father yeah as, a, as someone yeah. with a daughter I can see the, the Me Too movement you know the Me Too movement um, there was something that you just said there about um, you know think two thirds of men thinking that we have equality and yeah. I remember um, I don't know if you watched it or not but I got sucked into the Love Island world and totally. there was I love okay it. there totally. we go alright we're in <laughs> we in fact had I mean, it's now come out publicly we had like a whole MP whatsapp group about it it's oh really my god obsessed. okay so you'll know that i'm completely was... convinced well no, it was johnny johnny exactly about feminism <gasps> okay so this is this was the, the moment and there was that one thing he said and he said you know our prime minister is a woman so how more equal do you want to get and it just made me go <laughs> well so barack obama was the president of the united states of america are you trying to say there's no racism issues in america yeah. it's like it's such a short-sighted argument but i i, I think since he, he said that heard so many people saying that kind of thing and going well you can see this woman in a high profile position so there's no problem <laughs> although in it. we do, we do mm. know that feminist karma does exist because there was that beautiful beautiful moment where Camilla on her birthday was frolicking with a, a Calvin Klein model and there were just shots <laughs> of Johnny eating carbs and <laughs> feeling very sorry for himself because he'd messed it up <laughs> so you know I, I do like to believe that the world will eventually move towards equality but you're right like people kind of they look for the exceptions and call them the rule mm. and I think when it comes to being an ally look being an ally is about recognising your privilege because it's, it's not just about men as a white woman I have a privilege from the background that I come from and understanding that that shapes how you look at the world and the things that you don't see as much as the things that you do see and one of the things is to get away from the idea that all men are either men's rights activists or kind of submissive to saying actually we're all products of our environment so you may do things and may need to think about changing your behaviours to get the best out of each other how we have that conversation I think is absolutely critical mm. now like we say one of the frustrations is people do it through the lens of oh well I've got a daughter so I can I can affiliate with her and you're like mm. <laughs> mm. what about your wife your girlfriend the one you work you. with your sisters mm. like, but, but also you because this is the whole I, mean, I don't know if you saw recently but um, one of the guys is it, was it Jordan from Rizzle Kicks oh, the yeah. whole video about to- oh I love toxic, Jordan yeah he's fantastic oh, yeah he's good and did you see the thing about toxic masculinity he did mm. and how it, it really affects men so it's not okay it's obviously fantastic for men to want to be involved you know because they care about women and yeah. for, you know they absolutely they should but it you know this whole like um, inequality really affects men too and the, the fact that men you know have these pressures on them not to show their emotions and to be these kind of macho men you know whether that is leaking into mental health issues and um, pressures on them as well you know it, it affects all of us it's mm-hmm. not just a woman's issue feminism it's actually mm-hmm. a male issue too well, we do you have any good examples of just something that's happened where a man has done something and you're like thank you like that was so <laughs> on the point with supporting the cause because <laughs> I'm trying to think of some examples but I don't know if I can think of any 
Um, it, there's that guy Matt Munro who I think is quite interesting on, on Twitter, the guy who's in um, Orange is the New Black and uh, How to Get Away with Murder. Mm. So I'm a massive fiction author of, of trash TV. <laughs> <laughs> and I think he's really interesting because he's obviously thinking through some of this and ask, asking for ideas and guidance and, and sometimes getting it wrong. And I actually think he's quite a good role model for things. And, and also Jordan. I mean, yeah, having had conversations with Jordan about his understanding about what his role might be, everybody is a work in progress. But mm. I absolutely... It is possible. I'm just saying it's a conversation we need yeah. to have and we need to find to have a way of doing it. Because I think it's also about... Like, there's an unconscious masculine bias in what that conversation would look like because it's about proving somebody's wrong rather than I would argue you know one of the things that women are socialized into is being very compassionate and understanding that people may not say the right thing to begin with mm. but you would still want to kind of help them feel that they could get it right and actually for I think so one of the things for me about being an ally I always say it's not about speaking for people it's standing alongside them and being that support and sometimes using your platform so I represent an incredibly diverse community. I'm very clear it's not for me to represent Walthamstow in its entirety because how could I? But it is for me to be an advocate for the talent and potential there mm. and to find ways to take away the barriers that mean that we don't see it. So when I talk and work with the community and some very excluded groups, I'm looking constantly for how I can use the platform that I currently have to give them the power to be who they are and to be somebody who stands alongside them and sort of says, no, don't look at me, look at what these guys do because you're missing mm. out. And I think for a lot of men, that concept of it's not all about you, but it is about how you can be in the background helping push things forward is one that's a bit alien because we're so used to this idea that if you're going to be an ally and you're going to be a champion, you've got to be leading from the front. Mm. So, like, it, so it's, interesting. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's not, not a way like of thinking, scenes, whereas women are not much better at thinking about... Like, in fact, the rev- I run um, women's leadership workshops and... Getting women, for example, to talk about what their job title is, getting women, they, they, it's really hard because we're all trained to you know, not be too ambitious, <laughs> not be too too domineering, too difficult. Um, but they'll do it for other women. They'll be like, oh my God, have you met this woman? She's amazing. She does this. She's got capable of that. I can see her doing X, Y, and Z. Because we're used to working to support other people because we're always told that our role is to be secondary to somebody else. Mm. And somewhere in the middle there is what equality looks like, which is that kind of collaboration and that appreciation of what each of us has to offer and finding a way to create a platform where we get the best out of each other. I know lots of men want to get there. They don't always get it right. And I think we have to be able to give them a space to get it wrong. But I also think we have to say, like, no, this is not our... It's not for women to lead the women's revolution. (laughs) It's for everyone to see how it benefits them. So what do you think? So if there's, for example, now... A man or even a woman listening now and they're thinking okay I want to do more or I want to be more supportive or understand about how I, my role can develop and you know push that forward what, what, do you, what do you think people can do I mean I, I we mentioned before we started recording we talked a little bit about the he for she movement which has yeah. become relatively prominent um, yeah. but there must be other things you know from, <laughs> from day-to-day things I suppose that you like, can do even in your one, own home. Don't expect gratitude for babysitting your own kid. <laughs> <laughs> number two don't expect gratitude for, for being a feminist as a man because like it's just about being a nice person <laughs> not an idiot. <laughs> and also understand what feminism is because yeah. I still think there's a misunderstanding that feminism is about equality it's not about saying women are better and they're going to beat down men which I think a lot of men or a lot of people actually and they still, still find it quite aggressive an aggressive term I find and oh, it's yeah. like but it's not it's mm. just a term oh well I was just great so feminism isn't for me about women it's about power and how power is unequally distributed and so 51% of the population don't get the fair chance to express what they're capable of and then we miss out as a result like one of the things to say that is missing from this is people have this sense that somehow feminism is about 
women taking away from men and you're thinking like no this is not about different slices of the pie this is about how the pie gets bigger like there's a cold hard economic argument mm. for equality which is it's the biggest driver of growth prosperity of resilience for countries around the world and yet still you've got a whole bunch of men going yeah no we've got we've got like ladies we've got we've got ladies into work so that's like that you've, you've had your bit you know <laughs> like i find say it, thanks <laughs> well, i find it here in parliament if i talk about um Women, I got up to ask a question once about women in business, and the answer that came back was about um, women and the gender pay gap. And I was like, I was like, what? I asked about like, like women starting their own business. I was like, why are you talking to me? And then I realised what had happened is I'd said like lady, and then the rest was just cling on. So it was oh, like, right. like, oh my, and so you can see the minister thinking, what do I know about ladies? What, what, what have I thought about? And like there's, there's so much out there. Our world is still so monochrome, mm. and yet there's so much diversity and talent and, and colour in it to be discovered. So helping men realise that this is not about beating them down. It's about what happens when you, you see all of that and the kind of world it creates and how it's much better for everyone else. Mm. Like, I, I mean, I'm not asking nicely. I'm, like, I'm saying like this is your responsibility too because I don't think we should be sitting around and well they can't help it because like they totally can mm. <laughs> but I think we haven't had that conversation mm. within feminism and that's the next stage for me I had the best argument I think ever for feminists <laughs> from um, David Attenborough I went to a talk um, did it involve Wales because everything <laughs> no it didn't involve Wales I wish it did um, no I went I went to a talk and he was basically saying that the greatest threat to the entire of humankind is our population growth yeah. and that um, by 2050 I think we would have crossed if the current growth continues we would have crossed over to the point where it's actually not sustainable anymore this earth and we will not be able to continue um, and the one thing that is the number one um, like um, denominator when like on population growth in countries is is women's rights yeah and um, when a woman has a right over birth control yeah and um, they have choices then the population starts to drop and when women don't have rights over birth control population's booming so basically we're all gonna die unless <laughs> we achieve equality for women and that, if that isn't an argument for everyone our <laughs> earth will be destroyed <laughs> so. yeah and we've got that horrible man in the white house who doesn't believe in climate change it's like how do you well, he also doesn't believe in reproductive rights. No. Like one of the first things he did was to bring in the global gag rule, so basically to stop funding um, services that provided abortion access. I was talking about as forced pregnancy, because I think, it's interesting, I find often when I talk to men and you get this kind of, oh, well, you know, obviously people don't have to have sex, and you're like, mm, that's not really the way to look at it, is it? It's about a woman's right to choose what happens to her body and how if that was happening to you and you didn't have control, and the state deliberately took that away from you, mm -hmm. you wouldn't be a free person. Mm. Um, and it's quite interesting, you know, there's been a real backlash against abortion rights around the world, and it's happening in Europe. So, I mean, people think, oh, it's a, an issue around the developing world. It's not, it's happening Well, Ireland, I mean... Mm. Yeah, well, in Ireland, we hopefully we'll God. hopefully we'll get repeal the 8th through this year. Mm. Um, but, and that will be 12 weeks um, access, you know, which is absolutely a step forward from where Ireland has been. But I, I look at Poland, I look at what's happening in Eastern Europe, I look at what's happening in Bolivia. You know, it's, it's the constant drumbeat of control and, mm. uh, and, and, and it's patriarchy because it's basically saying this is the purpose of women. Mm. Lots of men get that that isn't right, but I don't think they understand that they can also, if they stand alongside us on these issues, help amplify voices and echo that this is mm. a priority. Because what happens 
it's like what happens in this place, especially when something like you know Brexit comes along, and it just takes up everyone's time, and everyone kind of goes, yeah, yeah, we'll get to that, we'll, we'll get to that whole equality thing, and you're like, well, mm. why is it always a thing that gets put to the side because it's seen as about women rather than actually about everyone? Oh, yeah. Do you do you sometimes find, or have you ever come across? Because I sometimes feel it's most amplified in the home in a way, because um, we look at these mm. bigger issues, but. Have you ever come across, because I have anyway, of men who are like self-proclaimed feminists and really probably believe in their head that they are, but when you put look in a home setting, so just as an example, like after a meal, like the women will stand up and, and start clearing. And it's not that, I mean, I do it not because I feel like I'm a woman, I should do it, but because I'm not going to sit when someone's just cooked a lovely meal and watch yeah. them clean up and you want to help. And I often find, I just sort of notice that the men are kind of sitting at the table. And I don't know, there's these kind of little domestic instances that are so small, but they start to creep in. Have you ever come oh, across yeah, that in that sort of smaller senses? We, we are not making the progress that we think we are. And one of the things to do is to call that out. Mm. And, to, and as I say, to say the missing piece of this puzzle is what are you guys doing? Uh, and, and to say, do you realise you're cutting off your own nose to spite your face? Because all that time... You're just reinforcing all those little everyday kind of patriarchal norms about, well, the women will do the organise, you know, they'll probably organise events. It drives me crazy. It's like women, it's like in politics, this idea that women can't do strategy because that's big thinking. But we can organise events. We can get you a cup of tea. And I'm like, I I can manage a spreadsheet. It's all right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And some of that is, it's not, it's not like, it's it's easy to deal with the people who, you know, make comments about your tits or... Um, call you sick because you're blonde or, or like presume that having a baby means that you've gone do lally you know because you can that's open hostility it's all those unconscious bias and that mm. kind of mm. like oh yeah no I'm, to- I'm, to- I'm totally with on your equalities gender okay so what have you done about it oh well that's I mean that's uh, I want to give the space for women to do it it's like no no we're asking you to help you know? yeah, yeah. there was there was a transgender woman who recently said that um after she um, started presenting as a woman and um, in her job she was asked for the first time people started asking her to make the coffees for the meeting and previously for years she'd been in the same job um, as yeah. a male and had never been asked that and it was those little, those little yeah. things that you just notice creeping through that people happen every day basically people yeah. don't really and I don't want to lose like that because I, I know exactly what you mean about you know someone's made dinner and you think oh, I'll be helpful yeah. um, because that's what we're socialised into like I don't think that's a bad thing I just think when it's an unequal theory, yeah. like I wouldn't invite those people back for tea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is weird that stuff because I find I'm not a very good cook and I feel like I should be. And I'm like, where does that come from? That comes from like a chain of like my mum and my grandmother and everyone else being like amazing cooks because they would like host. But I'm like, my life doesn't involve needing yeah. to please loads of men like they did, which is like kind of crazy. Mm. The generational divide there. Yeah, there's, Should a, I? there's a like there's an app on your phone now. You can order food. It's great. It's fine. <laughs> so one of the best, the most important things for the development of the equalities fight, and actually the Women's Library's got an amazing piece of work on this, was about the invention of various apps or, or things like the, the the vacuum cleaner and the washing machine that freed up women's time to start organising. So actually, the less time you spend, that's why Shirley Conran said that life was too short to stuff a mushroom. Like, the less yeah. time you spend worrying about your cooking, the more time you can ferment revolution. Yes. That's why Jane Oliver is actually <laughs> the so, patron of patriarchy. So <laughs> does, it, does it start just with these conversations and, like, in you know, so for example, someone's brother, friend, husband, father, whatever, um, it, does it start just having the conversation with them and just saying you know do you do you think there's more you could be doing or do you are you aware that you're not doing as much as you could I think so one of the things I find talking to a lot of women about these things is that there's a lot of pent-up anger 
And then when you say, have you ever talked to this to your partner or your brother or whatever about this? And they say, well, no, I wouldn't know where to start. Mm. Now, that is not to criticize. Like, one thing I'm sick of is the idea that constantly we say women have to figure all this mm. stuff out. But I think it does reflect it's quite hard to have these conversations. Mm. So I think finding ways to explain what it is like, the ev- like you say, that everyday drumbeat of knowing that people are going to judge you first on what you're wearing and whether they find you attractive and then, you know, whether you are twice as clever to get taken half as seriously because, of course, that's what people's expectations of women are. And then they probably think, you know, it's like I've called out men here when we've been doing debates who've who've constantly used terms like hysterical and emotional. I'm like, mate, I'm talking about data. It's really not... (laughs) And, and, you, and, and you see them kind of click because you think you have never thought that that's what you're doing. So you have a moment now. You can either be defensive or you can be open to what that teaches you about your own biases. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that isn't just the, the case in terms of men talking to women. It's about all of us with privileges to realise that we don't know a lot mm. and our lives are poorer for it. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. <laughs> I feel like this whole issue actually links really well into your issue, Emma, because we touched upon it there a bit, the whole, like, um, the effects that feminism and equality for women also have on men and the whole toxic masculinity. Mm. And I kind of feel like that links quite well into... Oh, yeah, probably um, does, actually. Well, yeah, into, you know, what happens when we let sort of toxic masculinity become unchecked and Mm. um, how it can lead to, to, you know, more violence, basically. Yeah. Um, Do you want to get off your breasts, your topic? Um, so my topic is a little bit of a heavy one today, but I feel like it's all I've been thinking about this week. So I just needed to get it off my mm-hmm. breast. Um, so I watched, um, I think, yesterday or the day before, a video on YouTube, which has kind of gone viral on Instagram as well. And it's a teen called Emma Gonzalez. She's, um, I mean, I looked her up and she's actually, she's got like hundreds of thousands of followers on Twitter and she's verified. So I feel like she's been doing this for a long time and she's really established herself as this campaigner. So that in itself, I'm just thinking that's so cool that she's so young and so interested in politics and has done so much research. So she's done this speech and basically I just wanted to read out um, two bits of it. Um, And she is rallying against... um, gun advocates and she's really trying to um, make a change when it comes to gun control following the Florida shooting. She's a student. And she's a student, yes. Um, So she says, "Um, we certainly don't understand why it should be harder to make plans with friends on weekends than buy an automatic or semi-automatic weapon. 
In Florida, to buy a gun, you don't need a permit, you don't need a gun license. Once you buy it, you don't need to register it. You don't need a permit to carry a concealed rifle or a shotgun. You can buy as many guns as you want. So she goes on to talk about how it's so super, super easy to get one. Then she talks about this website that's called shootertracker.com and basically you can um, you can track um, all the shootings that are happening around the world basically. And she said that there's be, there was one shooting in Australia in 1996, the Port Arthur massacre, and they banned guns and they haven't had one since 1999. Japan's had one, sorry, Japan has had no mass shootings, Canada has had three, the UK has had one. And it's just like those it's statistics. Dumb blame, wasn't it? And, yeah. And, and then we banned yeah. handguns. So, um, so yeah, I was just watching that video and I mean, it's all stuff mm. that I feel like I knew, but she just, she really delivered this speech that was just incredible. And on the back of it, unfortunately, a lot of politicians on the like far, far right are mocking her and mocking teenagers and being like, shouldn't you be at summer school? And why are your parents letting you come out and campaign? And it's sort of like um, their response to it has been mocking teenagers mm. for having a voice and mocking them for being so young and not knowing what they're talking about and I just think we're in this really interesting time where it feels like teenagers now don't have a choice but to be activists isn't that a shame in a way that their childhood is now rallying at gun protests and things like that but yeah whenever anyone asks me like who's your like role models and stuff like that I like I just think of like these teenagers mm. doing well, all I this. Think, I mean the Parkland children are extraordinary um in that Gun control. I mean, I also think what's, what I think we forget in the UK when you look at the American debate around guns, what people are calling for is not perhaps what we had here in the UK, which was like a ban. It's it's further restrictions on people being able to go and buy guns, and yet even that is something because of the Second Amendment that is very very contested. And of course, there's a lot of lobbying in America by the National Rifle Association. Mm. Um, and I think what's interesting about what's happened with the Florida kids, and they've got this March for Life, haven't they, on the, in, coming up in March, which is that previous attempts at gun control so previous shootings have, you know there's been various kind of calls and, and president obama tried to call for things but was blocked by the senate haven't really cut through it will be interesting to see whether these young people will be able to cut through all of that because they are saying we are the, the victims of this like we're literally not safe at school because you cannot guarantee that someone's not going to walk in with a gun because you just don't know where they are um and I do think that's a contrast. I, I, I wish I was a youth worker before I got elected, and I wish I could tell you that actually activism is is more prevalent. It's, it is in some senses in terms of cultural activism, but it's not necessarily in terms of civic and political activism. And that's not about political parties per se. It's about people standing up. So there's some fantastic, like mm. Scarlett Curtis and Grace Campbell, who are doing the period poverty mm. campaign, who, who when I meet them, they just make me feel really lazy because I'm like, oh, <laughs> and they're so cool. And Grace, is, <laughs> Grace is actually one of our guests oh, on yeah. this series. So she, is, <laughs> she is amazing. But one of the things I fear is that actually a lot of young people are being told that change isn't possible. So it gets kind of channeled into outbursts of anger and frustration rather than action and, and asks. And what I think is so powerful about these kids, there was um, a video, I think it was two nights ago, when they went to a town hall meeting and they organised to go en masse to go and confront the Florida mm. senator, Marco Rubio, who takes money from the NRA mm. and challenge him and just say, why do you take this money? What are you doing about our safety? And that was so powerful because it was an action and it was very clear about where the, the power lay. And what I worry about at the moment is that we're almost saying to young people, change isn't possible. So, um, 
you may as well kick off because you know the world is against you rather than actually this is your world and you can shape it and and you can t- get taken seriously as a force for good within it alongside it. it's not your age that stops you it's what you're asking for do you think we need to teach younger people then how to do it like you say in that manner because it sounds like there's successful protests and not and and also because i to remember being taught politics you know i think we need to yeah and that's the sad thing is actually we're probably too old for when citizenship came in it's now gone off the curriculum again because it's not been prioritized by the government yeah and actually that wasn't just about activism it's also about things like sex and relationship education you know spaces where you were having conversations about the life skills Mm. that you want young people to have um i I'm very. I'm always very wary of somehow saying that that young people are the, the older people. You know, it's, it's like I've been part of the campaign to um, bring in votes at 16, and people say, "Oh, 16-year-olds aren't sensible enough." I'm like, "Have you met some of the older voters?" It's like <laughs> this is just about basic democracy. Mm. Um, so I think there's definitely something about people recognizing they have so much. You, you as a citizen have so much power, but you get told that this place. You know, Hogwarts gone wrong, basically. It looks odd. The 650... Like, we are not the most powerful people in the country. We have different types of power, but you have power. And those young protesters will have a real power because they are the direct victims of a failure to regulate that system for gun Mm. access. Mm. And because they're very clear about what they're asking for. And I think it's that 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 is so powerful about Mm. them that is leading other people to kind of get behind them and, you know, actually be an ally. So, you know, George... Clooney and Oprah Winfrey and co not going right we're going to leave this now but going we'll give you money we'll help fund you getting students to the to the march so that you can have this show of strength and it's like that relatability as well like seeing a young very vulnerable girl kind of speak from her heart and I think but that's I think why you know what you do is so powerful as well is because you know we we are so used to seeing like a man in a suit and then when you're presented with someone who you you can really connect with I think that's really important isn't it Mm. as well I'm not, I'm not a young girl anymore. I'm very, <laughs> but very I aware. You're but you're, you I had a conversation with my staff about the fact that I'd managed to do a degree without Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, one of them told me, he was like, I had to borrow a pen from me because he said, well, nobody carries pens anymore. <laughs> but I think you do. It was like two words, Wi Fi shut down. <laughs> but I think you do speak to young people and are accessible to young people in a way that perhaps some of your colleagues and peers aren't. Um, for example, even just doing this podcast, you know, we, we have a, 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 a large young list, youth listenership as well. Um, and I think that's really important for young people not to feel like they're totally, you know, it's, it's inaccessible, this yeah. world, this parliament that we have, this government we have, is just, you know, older people making these decisions and to feel that they have that voice. And I think it's a really interesting time though now because it feels like a lot of the politics that are happening and the big you know you've got Trump in America you've got Brexit over here these are issues that are directly affecting the young people and that they feel fired up in a way that they haven't since maybe I don't know the 60s or something Um, and so it's kind of an interesting time because it's 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 not okay for us to say well you're a teenager you don't understand because actually they're the people who will mm. possibly be affected the most kids be in power one day yeah and and what I, it's also i also think it's not okay to go oh because you're a young person we don't expect you to be responsible or accountable mm. for what you're doing like one of the things i say that winds me up is that we have sometimes we do like youth councils and youth and we're like there you go you guys go and talk to each other and you know well okay have that as a forum where you can develop your confidence and learn how you want to present yourself but actually if we really want to be truly egalitarian, you guys need to be part of the conversation with everyone else, which means mm-hmm. that we have to find ways in which we don't patronise people, but we also don't somehow say, because you're young, it's okay for you mm-hmm. not to 
be accountable for what you say or what happens as a result of the campaigns. That you're, like I, I, I was one of the things we learned as youth workers is you have to give responsibility to get it. We don't in our political system. Mm. We we baby everyone. We act like you know, say Hogwarts gone wrong. It's like I've been given a magic wand. People will come to me and they'll be like, "Well, you can fix this." I'm like, "No, I can't." You know, this is how it. This is how the process works. And if you want to complain, and they're mm. like, "Yeah, but you're the MP." <laughs> I'm like, "Yes, but you're also the person with power too." Mm. Um, Do you think we give young people enough space in the media? Because I think you know, they like election coverage and stuff like that. I don't see. I don't really see like young young people on any sort of like panel. Like, do you remember like the T4 show that? Um, <laughs> June Sarpong we presented. Like June. June's from Walthamstow. I, <laughs> I think she did something ages ago where it was like a young people talking amongst themselves, and I don't know. Do you think we? Sh- do you think there should be more space for young people? But I think there are. So, I mean, actually, that's what I think is so interesting now is everything is so fragmented. Um, actually, you know, when I was growing up, there were four TV channels, weren't there? So everyone was kind of what, yeah. I mean, the social death, if you missed the episode of Press Gang, was just <laughs> like, because it was on once and that was it. <laughs> Again, trying to explain that to some of the younger people I work with. And they're like, wasn't it on Netflix? Like, no. <laughs> um, but because everything's so fragmented, people are having conversations. I, I mean, that's sometimes the risk of social media is it filters without you knowing. Like, I mean, literally, because, you know, your friend or likes something that appear on your page and because your friends, you probably have views in common so you won't necessarily hear other people disagreeing mm. and one of the things I think is really worrying about um, the world at the moment is that everyone who will come to me will, about an issue will say everyone I know agrees with me and mm. I think well <laughs> <Bubbles. just> not <laughs> yeah. the case and then you're disappointed um, so it's not that I don't think there are spaces where young people are debating and try- like young people are very political they don't you know lots of people don't like this system I don't like this system <laughs> you might tell um, but where we have a kind of common debates as a country where are we actually coming together and finding yeah listening to someone who disagrees with us and figuring out if there's anything Mm. we can agree on Mm. or at least agreeing to disagree in a respectful way because the flip side of this is all the abuse and the Mm. like that is offline too it's on it's not an online thing and certainly what i hear from a lot of young campaigners is I do want to get involved, but I don't want to stick my head above the parapet because I've seen what happens to people like you, or I've seen, you know, just everyone dragging each other down. Mm. Um, and I think, well, that's, you know, I don't, I don't want that. But I think, I think what you were saying about yeah. everyone having power as well earlier is, is so right. And actually, you know, dismissing young people and teenagers is one of the most short-sighted things people in power can do. Yeah. And actually, um, with the Parkland kids, there was um, this moment where they m- marched on Florida and there was a vote amongst the Senate and it was about um, whether or not they would piece of legislation forward whether they'd debate assault rifles was it assault rifles or automatic assault rifles but they were basically just asking for this debate to even happen to even be considered Um, and it was voted down I think 71 votes to 36 Um, and you know there was a moment with one of these kids sort of crying up in the balconies you know in in horror and I saw this this commentator and he was like the the worst news that that they've had since they didn't get their summer job or something really sort of awful and dismissive and you just thought these kids may be 16 and 17 now they'll be 18 soon and they'll be able to vote and they have a list of those people who voted again no and they they will use their voices they they lost their I mean someone came into their school who was a a colleague at school and shot people yeah (laughs) like that's just Mm. basically none of us know what that feels like find it weird even when because I was in I've been in California for a few weeks and like you know when you're in the airport and it says like do you like have you packed a lighter don't pack scissors you know like the whole don't pack these yeah, things yeah and then it's like make sure you put away your rifle in in the rifle bit of your suitcase so like so it like right. guides you to how to pack your gun and I'm like 
that is not normal. Like, <laughs> I don't get it. But I just sort of can't wait for the, these kids to have their votes and have their voices. And, you know, that, that gen- I feel like that generation is giving a lot of the older generation hope. Like, I've seen a lot of American people who have fe- who've been feeling so sort of helpless in a way and been mm. trying, but they, they're sort of messaging these young kids on social media and going like, thank God for you. And, you know, you are the future yeah. and we're so excited. This is, you know, we're, we're behind you and we're here to support you, but thank you for leading this, this it, fight it in a way. it will take longer. I mean, this is the thing. Mm. I, <laughs> I have to say, I'm, I, I, I really hate Coldplay. I'm sure Chris Martin is a lovely man, <laughs> but I can't, the, it, the music just is not my thing at all. But there is that line about nobody said it'd be easy, nobody said it would be this hard. That's the po- point. Progressive change is hard work, mm. right? It's not that you've been on a protest, you've held a banner, you've used a hashtag, and like it should just be immediate. You, know? mm. you have to win people over, you have to win an argument. You do have to talk to people you disagree with. And... We have to, I think that the biggest thing for me is creating a culture where people keep going because the only way I know to be successful in trying to change things is keeping going. And mm. what I, the only thing I worry about for those young people is how you keep the forward motion going. They will be unstoppable if they can keep going. Mm. And actually that's what the, the, the kind of, the older generation, you, you see a lot of people who've kind of stopped going and because what you get is five, 500 reasons why this won't work and that won't work. You're like, yeah, yeah, all of these are fair comment, right? But what do we do next? And that for me isn't by accident. One of the things I think that the right is doing is closing down the idea that anything else is possible, whether they do it through intimidation, whether they do it through like, like sharing things, claiming these kids didn't go to schools or claiming they're paid actors, mm-hmm. but also just through being bloody-minded. Mm. And you know what, fair play to them, because why did we think it was going to be easy? Why did we think, well, I've got an opinion, everyone should listen, job done, you know, world peace and a free bus service by, by the weekend and we can all go off to the cinema. It's like, this think, is hard. Do you think that, that, that there's a scary possibility that, like, as you get older, you become less and less engaged and, like, less positive about change? Because, like, I, I wonder, like, I was talking to my dad about this the other day, and he was just like, when I was your age, you know, I was, I was, I was like you. And, like, and I don't know if he is into politics anymore. No, well, I can, look, I, I'm always a bit worried about generalisations. I can only speak for myself mm. that seven years into this job, I feel now that I have more confidence about what to do next, mm. because you've seen what does work and what doesn't. Like, these kids will need to make mistakes in their campaigning to learn what is effective and what is not effective. Mm. Um, I, you know, plenty of people of an older generation, like you say, have ideas, they're frustrated, but we have a culture right now where everyone's being told, everything's the same, you know, nothing can really change, what's the point? And then people will be spectators, they'll pick mm. holes. So, you know, you put your head above the parapet and say, well, I'd like to campaign, like Grace and Scott, I'd like to campaign for period poverty. You'll get 101 reason, reasons why it would never work. Mm-hmm. That is, of course, overwhelming. What experience teaches you is that, yeah, people are going to push back and, you know, you're not going to win overnight. But if you keep going, if you listen, if you work out if they've got a point and therefore you might want to change. I um, led a campaign against payday lending. And when I first started doing it, I got a lot of resistance from people about the ideas I had about how to, to fix it. And actually that was really helpful because it made me think through some of the flaws and the things I wanted to do and come up with a better idea. And that better idea became law and now basically companies mm. like Monger have gone bust. Mm. Right? Mm. So it, it, I, it's that point about resilience and kind of keeping going. I, the only thing I worry about for those kids is that absolutely that march I think will be very powerful. But it's a bit like some women getting the vote 100 years ago. You win a little bit of the battle and you plan for what happens next because you're mm. constantly pushing forward and that's mm. how change happens. Yeah. And older 
generations get that too and actually have more experience about what has and hasn't worked and somewhere in the middle yeah. is like a force you know is oprah with her money but also oprah being like okay so are you guys going to stand for congress are you guys gonna um propose a piece of legislation like yeah. she will know that from her experience mm-hmm. and also a tv show which shaped my life massively as a kid <laughs> same <laughs> totally loved oprah because it was on one of the four things on telly <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah so. <laughs> We're also gutted that she's not going to run for office 2020, even though I'm not American. I'm like, yes. so invested. Yeah. Always put the we'll word see, yes. We'll see, we'll see. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I feel like what I want to get off my yeah. breast this week is like on the opposite end of the spectrum. So it's kind of connected to what we were talking about now with teenagers and attitudes towards young people. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's talking about elderly people. And I started thinking about this, which is probably from a really like self-centered point of view, but because I read this book by this guy called John Robbins, I don't know if you've heard of him, but he basically he's a quite a renowned author in America and he was the heir to the Baskin Robbins kind oh. of fortune and legacy. So Man after my own heart with those uh, Oh yeah. <laughs> so he was meant to inherit this kind of like ice cream empire. But he started educating himself when he was really quite young about food and about the dairy industry and about health and he really became quite sort of into um sort of healthy eating and living and he basically gave up this legacy um to kind of give up i know cream? he was like what? no thanks i'm gonna give away the job the money the the ice cream <laughs> and he was like i'm gonna dedicate my life to what is my calling which is um promoting like plant-based eating and all this kind of a healthy <laughs> lifestyle but he really he did it in a very scientific way and this book he wrote is called healthy at 100 so I read this book and he basically found this um, National Geographic scientist from the 1950s called Dr. Leaf, which is just the greatest Great. name <laughs> for someone working with the National Geographic as a scientist, Dr. Leaf, um, who did a journey around the world to yeah. find the populations of the world where um, and the cultures where old people were living the not only the longest but also the kind of healthiest lifestyles and then trying to find out like what is the correlation so there were these four communities i'll, I'll mention them, the abkassinians the vilkambambans the hunsans and the quinawans which i'm sure i've said completely wrong which you know one one in japan one in south america one in russia you know they're all over mm. and um so he john robbins went back to these communities sort of 50 years later and tried to look at what what are the what are the sort of the things they have in common and you know there were some obvious things healthy lifestyle exercise you know they were all walking a lot living mountain lifestyles eating very kind of pure foods fresh whole foods because they don't fry things they don't have processed foods but the thing that was really interesting was this chapter about attitudes towards the elderly so in these communities the old people were all really respected they were really seen as the wiser elders of the community and they continued to have value and not only did they continue to have value their value grew as they got older so they never had this kind of feeling of either being a burden on their society or of being Mm. um you know useless and sort of valueless um so and and they were living these kind of and he and they 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 sort of scientifically proved that this was actually (laughs) affecting their health you know there's no dementia there was no alzheimer's there's no arthritis in these communities and, and they really believed and you know these sort of research backed it up that it was the attitudes that were propelling that um so i suppose at that point you will start going well we all hope that we're going to become older people at some point so it's you know you walk around a little bit blinkered going like it's not really my issue and then at some point you sort of go well this is my issue and you know we all have grandparents as well but we also will hopefully be those people so i just wanted to kind of like bring it up and say like i think in this country and apparently in the higher the income the countries are the worse our attitudes and let the least yeah. respect we have for the old people but 
I really think we need to start shifting our, the way that we see old people and stop seeing them as like a burden and mm. valueless and start seeing them for what they have to offer, which is so much experience and so much wisdom. So, so agree with you because the, that's the thing. It's like, what couldn't you ask someone who's had that long lifespan? There's so much that you'd want to ask and so much wisdom. And I thought, I just thought when you were saying that about um, how we treat old people is um, all of the loneliness re- reports that came mm. out um, from, was it the Joe Cox, Joe Cox Foundation? Foundation. Yeah. And I felt, I felt like that, of, of course, is a, is a problem like, affecting every, a lot of people across all ages. But it seems like a really big thing when it comes to being older because you yeah. sort of, you do start to lose everyone. Mm. But also, uh, there's a real risk at the moment, especially actually I think in the light of Brexit, because there's a, divide, a kind of generational divide in how people voted, that there's an us and them idea about it. So it is the younger generation versus the older generation. And actually, any country that is divided, whether you divide on income lines, whether you divide on ethnicity, whether you divide on generations, is never going to succeed. Because you're, you're fighting yourselves rather than mm. actually working together. And I think there's definitely we have an aging population for um because because we've had um things like the nhs i mean you know 50 60 years ago basically you'd retire and then you'd be quite at risk of getting a a respiratory disease and you go into hospital and die (laughs) um Mm. now people are living a lot longer a lot of people are living with um mental health and long-term healthcare conditions um people are working longer but they're also then kind of capable in the community for longer and that's a real resource but we don't think of it in those Mm. sorts of ways and we think it's about choosing and trading off so absolutely previous generations have had different opportunities and this is the first generation where people are fearful that they won't be able to pass on to their children you know wealth or opportunity in the way Mm. that they were given by their parents and I think that's quite challenging for people Mm. because you know every parent wants to do the best by their kid um but it's also that it's kind of ingrained this culture that it's an either or rather than actually it's about how you collaborate. And it's mm. interesting because there was, a, there was a, a bit of research a couple of years ago by the mm. WHO and it actually proved a link. So the attitudes towards old people it doesn't just you know, affect them because they feel disrespected. It actually affects their physical and mental health. Yeah. Um, you know, and depression and loneliness are really powerful things and can affect your physical health. And you know, that in turn affects the NHS, the burden yeah. on the NHS. And um, I think there's, it's sort of the branches that kind of come off it from this one like attitudes towards old people are so far reaching actually. Mm. Um, I'm such a fan of there's a project in Walthamstow called the Together Project which is taking very young children into older people's homes and doing events oh, again because yeah. actually they both riff off each other and it's just lovely to yeah. see. <laughs> I saw um, a video for that that yeah. was like being shared around on Facebook and it's the most heartwarming thing and also it's so genius like of course you would want to um, like you would find each other interesting as well. Mm, yeah. Uh, it's just lovely. Did you did you ever see? So we we're talking about trash TV. I quite liked. I can't remember the name of it, but it was this sort of social experiment they did, and they basically got um, a load of. They were kind of um, people who'd been you know high profile famous people back in the day. I think Lionel Blair was one oh, of yes, them. Oh yes, yes, and Miriam Margolis. Yeah, and they they all had sort of quite significant health issues as well yeah. or depression issues and they put them in a house together and they recreated it and made it look like the 70s did, did you see that Anyone I, see, I saw the one where they all went to India no so this was a house oh, here in the UK and basically they had to move in for I think a couple of months um, and they moved in all together and they basically um, like one of them couldn't even put his own socks on one of them couldn't walk they were really you know like encumbered people they you know physically and some of them mentally and they basically recreated their lives from the 70s so not only did they make the house like 
it would have been in the 70s but they basically made them go back to kind of almost work so if someone had a dog in the 70s one of the people that had a dog and didn't anymore because he didn't feel he could look after it they gave him a dog and they were like yeah. you can do this and um, Lionel Blair they like put back to work and like got him doing dance tuitions and things like that and they got someone else painting and over the period of the eight weeks like the physical transformation was unbelievable because they started to believe that they weren't just kind of wasting away and you know a burden and they start to feel mm. useful and it was it was so incredible like physically how they how they changed I know my, my, my grandma um, died a couple of years ago 103 and she was still like walking around and she was teaching piano still and she was doing feminist meetings in her house and <laughs> doing like daily exercise and I think because she kept working and because so therefore she never felt that she wasn't um, useful anymore I think that kept her mind and body so agile mm. <laughs> but we also need to change like one of the things with me for the fight for equality is not for men and women to have an equally rubbish like <laughs> working all hours sends never seeing their families never having a break never getting to sleep something about changing the way in which especially with an aging population changing the way in which we think about work changing the way in which we think about value is really important towards getting a better work-life balance mm. for everyone yeah that's so true because i feel like even though you know when you think of like what's successive people or sometimes people say like oh when I retire at 40 or like maybe retiring at 50 and it's like okay f- fair enough like that would be great to retire but actually if you just stopped working and you had no purpose mm. surely that is where this stuff sorts of like could happen as well because I think you do need to feel slightly like you've got a small purpose yeah. even if I have all the money in the world you'd have to like find something I really want. I really there. want someone to start an equality campaign, which is like the whole campaign is about. Oh, we want everyone to have an equally shit life. <laughs> <laughs> we can all suffer together. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure the government is trying quite hard <laughs> to make that happen. No, I, I think you're, you're, you're right, Emma. Though, because I think at 65 as well, like everyone's an individual, and some people, um, you know, like retiring for them is right, but for some people, like working past that point might be right too. Yeah. Um, but every generation, I mean, because so, you so know, it's, it's going to move. Um, especially as people live longer, what what is considered? I mean, I'm I'm now middle, I'm 40. I'm now middle age, but but it's not the same as how we saw it 20 years ago. You know, I'm, mm. it's like Kylie Minogue is 50. <laughs> Kylie to me will forever be. I know when I read that interview with her in the was it the the Observer or the Sunday Times yeah. Elizabeth Day interviewed her I think, and I just thought what like you're not 50. You you yeah. just like you're lying to us all. It's crazy. Um, but it's also but you know it's a reflection that people will move the boundaries about um what you're physically capable of what you're mentally capable of that had pre preconceptions mm-hmm. that were holding people back and that's going to change say the world of work but it will also change society mm. um what what i worry about as i say is that we we pit it as the younger versus the older so the younger generation who haven't been able to get on the housing ladder who've had to pay for their education versus the older generation who freeloaded and are now expecting to get, and you're like actually this is a lose-lose for everyone because mm-hmm countries when you do that you end up making trade-offs that don't work for mm. people i need to stop doing that then i'm very much like a kind of like good morning britain tried to do the like are millennials useless that was like the headline <laughs> to the show and i like went on a massive twitter rant and i was like well actually there's no that it's not that helpful just to like protect your own generation from all these stereotypes like you can say i don't agree with that but you, you don't want to like just start your own club of like I only hang around with millennials but because on the other side of that you've got people going oh older people are really out of touch they can't use social media yeah, then they're, I'm being just as bad yeah. by being like well baby boomers like you know yeah. screwed our earth up <laughs> I don't know 
But it's, every generation comes with its own set of experiences, cultural references, and 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 prejudices. I mean, everybody holds them. And you know, um, absolutely, it, it feels very different talking to people who are going through university, who are you know, say coming into the job. I, I joke about myself, but it is a very different experience to have, and that's interesting to me because, of course, it makes me reflect on like. I find now I am um, I go into schools and the kids like you get these eight-year-olds who are all coding <laughs> we did a school cuts march and this eight-year-old kid walks up to me with his robot that he's built wow and he's like oh yeah I've got another one at home it solves Rubik's cubes <laughs> and, and I'm thinking I want to be your mum because I could retire on you <laughs> I feel so <laughs> inadequate now for, for that kid for that kid the, I mean it's one of the problems in politics is that then every generation pre-imposes its preconceptions about so people here are still talking like what you need is a single education you get a career and you go into training for a course and that's what you'll do for life and you're like this kids these kids are going to do seven or eight so different jobs different two of which haven't invented yeah. yet mm. and my generation doesn't have a way of getting their heads around that because we didn't experience it again when i was a youth worker we used to say everybody's been a 15 year old but not everybody's been a 15 year old today the same is true about being 60 yeah. 80 100 is you you can experience it in the moment but because we don't we have this idea that it's all about the trade-offs we don't ever look at what we can do together and that's what we miss out on. Do you know what I love? I feel like all three of our topics, even though they're really different, they're all about being allies to and, and not being separate from these other groups, like whether it's old people, young people, women versus men, it's all about sort of coming together and supporting and, and seeing how we can sort of change our, shift our attitudes and our actions. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. That was, yeah. that was no. amazing. Thank you. Well, it's why, it's why I do what I do. You know, I, like the world is a scary place right now. I mean, you know, Donald Trump has a, has a Twitter account and the nuclear codes. Like that is frightening. <laughs> the only way I know that we've ever actually, as a world, made things better is together. Mm. So I always think, you, you know, it's written on the back of my membership cards, you achieve more together than you do alone. You've got to find a way of working with people. That isn't always easy. People mm. can be irritating. Mm. People can be really difficult. And sometimes you are going to disagree, but mm. most people would quite like the world to be a good place and are therefore open, whether it's men, young people or older people, to how they might be able to help. And when you see that happen, when people get through not having long, boring meetings, not always shouting at each other or using, you know, snowflake and libtard and all that sort of stuff, that's when the magic happens mm. and mm. that's worth it. Yeah. Thank you so much, Stella. It's been such <laughs> a pleasure. You. And thank you for hosting us at the Houses okay. of Parliament as well. It's been quite the treat. <laughs> thank but, um, you so much. Really appreciate it. If people do want to um, follow you and find out more, what's your Twitter handle? My, my Twitter yes. handle is at Stella Creasy. Brilliant. All one word. And it's Creasy, C-R-E-A-S-Y. Because you put an extra E in it, my dad gets really cross. Yes. <laughs> so you know, I knew there was a reason you were on our hit list from the beginning to get on this podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening and um, I hope you do come along to our live event on the 8th of March. We would love to see you there. Tickets are on sale on Eventbrite or you can find the link on our Instagram or Twitter accounts. And um, and we're so happy to be back with season two. Please remember to rate and review us on iTunes. It really helps with people discovering us in the future. And for those of you that can't make the live event itself, um, the live podcast sort of extra special bonus episode is actually going to be released the following morning. So that will be Friday morning, March the 9th. And of course, you can also join us next Monday when we'll be back with our regular podcast and diving into some more fascinating issues with filmmaker, actor and mother of four, Sadie Frost on her first ever podcast chat. ACAST. 
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl. Let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.